The question we're going to answer today is what happened the day that God died? Well, number one, this, he defeated Satan. On that cross, Jesus defeated Satan. A fulfillment of a prophecy from Genesis 3. Genesis 3.15 says this, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. He's talking about man and the devil. Between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see, some thousands of years before this, Jesus Christ fulfilled a prophecy that God gave when he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. You see, when Jesus took the cross, Satan believed he had won. When in fact, the sacrificial love of our Savior sealed the fate of Satan that day. Hebrews 2.14 says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part in the same. Jesus Christ was flesh and blood, just like you and me. Bible says he was tempted in all points as you and me. That through death he might destroy him, that had the power of death, that is the devil. You see, Satan's only power was the power of death. And Jesus came, the Bible says, to overcome death. He came to see the devil defeated. And the day that God died was the day the devil was doomed. 1 John 3, 8 says this, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Like I said, that, that, that passage in Genesis, Genesis 3, God says, hey, Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. Those of you who hurt yourself, it's a whole lot easier to recover from a heel injury than a head injury. I'm speaking from experience. I've hurt my head many times. You see, in regards to Genesis 3.15, Spurgeon wrote this, This is the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered upon the surface of the earth. It was a memorable discourse indeed with Jehovah himself for the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness for the audience. You see, Jesus Christ came to save us and he came to defeat Satan. Number two, he became on the cross when God died, he became the substitute for my sin. You see a word uh, in the Bible quite a few times. We're going to look at a few places called propitiation. Say that with me. Propitiation. I have a hard time with that one. All that means is a satisfactory payment. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of him, of God in him. We have a serious problem in, in society today. The problem is sin. Our problem is not someone with an agenda. Our problem is not some 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 a belligerent dictator in another country. Our problem is not people trying to take our rights away. Our problem, first and foremost, is sin. It's afflicted us since Adam, and it will afflict us till we experience heaven. But the day Jesus died, we had a substitute for the payment of sin. You see, he took my place on the cross. He paid the price I was supposed to pay. He carried my weight, and he lovingly took those nails for you and me. My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's a, there's a, a book turned into a play written by Victor Hugo called Les Miserables. And in that, and my dad hates musicals, FYI. You guys need to know. Board games and musicals, three things my dad despises. So get him Clue and a musical for his birthday. But in this book and in the play, you have a character who went to prison. He went to prison for something small and ended up being in prison for close to two decades. At the moment that he was released, he was branded on parole as a criminal and a danger. He finds shelter in a place with a certain man, and in this home, he finds silver. So Jean Valjean, the main character of this book, takes the silver that was in the home and runs away, thinking, I have secured payment, I've secured money, I can be set up. That day, he's captured and brought back to that man. Victor Hugo writes one of the best examples of what Jesus Christ did for us. When Jean Valjean came back to his host he had stolen from, the host tells him, you didn't take the best part. He said, I gave you this, you need to take more. He forgave him completely and gave him a way to get freedom. Sent here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation, that satisfactory payment for our sins. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin, what you earn from your sin is death. But the gift of God. What do you have to do to earn a gift? You need anything to earn a gift? I hope so. Because I like presents. Sometimes it's cool to do. We don't have to earn anything for a gift. See, God willingly, freely, of of his own accord, of his own volition, gave his son for us that we might experience freedom. Religions have tried to make works more valuable than they actually are. Our redemption is paid by grace, not works. Tradition, money, works, they are not valuable in securing our salvation. Titus 3, 5 says this, not by works of righteousness which we have done. 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with the corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. You see, those things of this world are going to burn away one day. Our traditions are going to go away. Our riches are going to go away. Our health will go away. Those things we think give us purpose and value are going to leave us one day. But God gives us purpose above that. He became the substitute for our sin. Number three, he restored my broken relationship with God. He restored my broken relationship with God. In Luke 23, 24, he says this famous phrase on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even while men are jeering at him, parting his clothes, spitting on him, beating him, nailing him to a cross, He is an advocate to the Father for them. You see, just as a parent with their children, sin creates a division within us. When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke fellowship with God for all of us. And it's only through Jesus that 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 relationship restored. Colossians 1.20 says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, 
By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to make like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Put it this way. You go, to an, you go into a car lot or a, 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 car, a car lot, you walk into the showroom. You see some of the best things in that showroom, right? If you were to go to McDonald's, Toyota, that's our big one here in town, and you were to walk into the showroom, you'd see some gorgeous vehicles. You'd see some great things. And a lot of people like to consider church that way. But listen here, church is not the showroom. Church is the service department in the back. Don't expect to walk in here and expect to see the best in the best. No, we are broken. We are battered. We are beaten people, but we are coming to God for help. A mechanic's shop is usually not clean or orderly, but it's where stuff gets fixed. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love towards us. He demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. See, Jesus Christ restored our relationship with God. Jesus Christ paid that price. Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of God, advocating for each and every one of us. And he's there. He knows your name. He knows your sins. He knows your faults. And he loves you in spite of them. What a comforting thing. The question we have to ask ourselves in this, though, is this. Why do I go back to the things that Jesus paid for? Someone came and said, I'm going to pay all your debt. I'm going to come and I'm going to pay every bit of debt you have. I'm going to pay off your house, your car, student loans, medical bills. I'm going to pay them all. Would you keep writing a payment to the bank for those things? So why do we do it in our Christian life? Jesus Christ paid the price for us, and yet we are still slaves to those things that Jesus Christ paid the debt for. It leads us to number four. He freed us from the power of sin. Sin's a terrible slave master. It works us to the bone as we try to overcome it. It creates strongholds in our lives, the Bible says. And when Jesus died, he created a way for us to overcome the power of sin. Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should serve not sin. But we still sin, right? At least I do. I don't know about anyone else here. I still sin. But the difference is we now have victory to overcome that sin. Through Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit's conviction, we can overcome anything Satan throws at us. 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we're a sinner, when we're not, when we don't accept Jesus Christ, 
salvation, I have a bungee cord. We get tied up, don't we? Sin keeps us bound. Sin causes us from being the person God wants us to be. You see, that moment on the cross, Jesus Christ came and he broke the chains of sin. We're no longer bound by it. But the problem is we sit here trying to tie ourselves back up all the time. We sit here thinking, you know, this is a little bit safer for me. (laughs) It's a little more comfortable. God, I know you saved me from it, but, you know, this is how I was made. This is how I was raised. This is how I was taught. God's love supersedes anything you were made to be or raised to be. God's love gives us the ability to be something greater than what we were made. And sin has no power when we allow God's sacrifice to be our motivation. You see, the day that God died, he freed us from the power of sin. The day that God died, he provided security for each and every one of us. Salvation is easy. We tell that to kids all the time. I say that in slam almost weekly. Getting saved is an easy thing, especially for a child. A child understands so much without the restrictions of adulthood. (laughs) I can tell a child how to be saved, and they say, I want to do it. I had a little girl do that. I would tell them how to be saved. She raised her hand mid-lesson, said, I need to do that right now. She understood it completely. We as adults tend to confuse the situation. (laughs) Well, maybe he doesn't mean this. You know, God doesn't know everything I've done, and he does. God doesn't understand where I came from. No, he does. God understands the burdens you carry, the baggage you have, the past you've lived, the sins you've committed. God understands every bit of it, and yet his son is still there to offer you salvation. You've got to choose. God has that gift. He's holding it out, and you just got to choose. Now, for those of you who have chosen this, you said, God, I need your salvation. God, I'm asking you to save me. He provides now security. He provides security. John 19.30 says a famous word. And in the Greek, it's one word, but we, we translate it as this. It is finished. There are religions and cults today that will say that salvation is an ongoing thing. Salvation is something you have to earn or put work into or make sure people know that you're doing this. No. You know, salvation can be done in secret at your own home. And one day you're going to be at the same place the person who's public about it is going to be. We see that moment we're saved. He provides us us security. One of the most potent tools that Satan will use is doubt. The first thing Satan ever uses in in the word of God is doubt. Yea, hath God said? That serpent in the garden said. Hey, did God really say this? Did God really mean this? I had this discussion with Joe a few weeks ago, and he's saying, we have a phrase we toss around, once saved, always saved. The question is, does the Bible teach it? 
have an answer for you. He does. You see, salvation is the miracle of a moment, whereas our sanctification is that process of a lifetime. But the Bible says in Isaiah 51, 6, Lift up your eyes to the heaven and look into the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. John 6, 40, this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You see, churches today are teaching that you can lose your salvation if you don't abide by the rules that they have. Churches that are saying you have to accomplish certain things to receive God's salvation. And God says, no, I've given it to you. You just have to accept it. Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. An author once wrote about two Germans who wanted to climb the Matterhorn. They hired three guides and began their ascent to the steepest and most slippery part. The men wrote themselves together in this order, a guide, a traveler, a guide, a traveler, and a guide. They'd gone only a little way up the side when the last man lost his footing. He was held up temporarily by the other four because each had a toehold in the niches that they had cut in the ice. But then the next man slipped and he pulled down the two above him. The only one to stand firm was the first who had driven a spike deep into the ice. Because he held his ground, all the men beneath him regained their footing. The author concluded the story by drawing a spiritual application. He said, I am like one of those men who slipped. But thank God I am bound in a living partnership to Christ. And because he stands, I will never perish. You see, the day that God died, that dark day in human history, where completely innocent, a completely perfect, a, a sinless sacrifice was made. I'm thankful Satan was defeated. I'm thankful my sin was paid for. I'm thankful my relationship with God's restored. I'm thankful I'm freed from the power of sin. And I'm thankful I've got that security through Jesus Christ. The question I ask you all as we conclude, we're going to be done here in just a second. The question I ask you is this. You've accepted Christ as your Savior. He's given his all for you. What are you doing for him? It's a fairly simple question. Those of you who are married, you know your relationship is a symbiotic relationship. It's a, it's a working together. If one member of the household isn't giving all and the other one's giving nothing, is it a very healthy relationship? So why are we that way with God? 
God, you gave all. God, you gave your son. God, you died on the cross. God, you endured the shame and the torture and the pain for me, and yet I have decided I can't give you as much. (laughs) I talked to the Sunrise service, so this is good. We've come to a point where we say, God, I'm segregating an hour a week for you. But don't ask for more. God, I know you gave all, but, man, I really can't do the 10% that you say to do in the Bible. God, I know you want me to serve, but, you know, I'm really busy with everything else. I'm grateful that Jesus Christ wasn't busy the day he took the cross. And those of you, if you're here and you say, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. There's no better day than today. You see, the tomb's empty. Yes, God died on that cross, but three days later, God rose again from the grave to prove who he was. And at that point, the sacrifice was secured. Our place is secured, and we can have salvation by just asking. You don't have to pay a penance. You don't have to go through and say say certain things. You don't have to go through and ask forgiveness for every sin you've ever committed. God knows them all. God knows your heart. Reach out and ask for him. said the decision's yours it's nothing i can do it's nothing pastor can do it's nothing your spouse your parent your 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 kids can do for you you've got to do that yourself the question is are you going to accept that gift are you going to let god stay on the throne let's pray father we thank you so much God, I don't know what what everyone's situation is here today. I don't know what you who you brought out for today. I know that everyone in here is here for a reason. God, I pray that you be with everyone today. God, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, they're going to hear the gospel presented multiple times today. I pray that they can come to the saving knowledge of you. God, we thank you for the victory you've given us. God, the purpose you've given us. God, I ask that everyone here either relies on you completely for the rest of their life or today they take that step and they trust in you. Love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Settle that today. Don't don't leave here unsettled and questioning that, but let's settle that and see God do something great. And uh, thank you, Thane. A challenge from God's Word this morning. We're going to pray here in just a moment. We're going to dismiss, and then we we are going to uh, move some chairs and set up some tables. And um, uh, Tom will be in here where we'll uh, get the chairs set up. The correct way. We need to stack them just the right way and uh, get them out of the way so that we can pull the other chairs out and tables. And we're going to be moving some other things out too today. And 
Uh, it's just going to be a busy morning, so you bear with us as we do that. Fellowship, uh, enjoy the time together, and then we will be eating here soon. And uh, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the food also as we prepare to eat. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this day, how special it truly is, knowing that that cross didn't hold you, the grave didn't hold you, that you are the victor over death. And Lord, because of that, we who call on you will be victorious too. Live for eternity with you. Lord, I pray you stir in the hearts of each one who's here this morning. And Lord, I just ask that if there be one today, that Lord, they would make that decision right now. Call on you to trust you as their Savior and settle it before they leave here today. And Father, we will rejoice with them in knowing that their name is written in that book of life. And that, Father, they're a part of the family of God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And Lord, now I ask that you bless the time that we have, the food, the fellowship, and preparing our hearts as we go into the next uh, uh uh, service here at 9:45 and 10:45. Lord, I just pray that your hand of blessing be upon us in a special way today, as we just come to worship you and to thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we thank you again. We love you. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. God bless you guys.
choir members, choir members, 915 upstairs, choir, 915 upstairs.
if you brought dishes this morning, please make sure to grab them from the kitchen um, just so we don't have a bunch of extra dishes or else they're going to go home with stains because I can always use a new casserole dish. So make sure if you brought dishes to grab them from the kitchen or put your name on someone's dish to take home.
have our perks. <laughs> before we sing and before Wes comes, we have to do birthdays because Nick Jimenez is leaving after Sunday school. And so do you think he should sing a special? He said he would on a hill far away. And it'll be a solo. So low you can't hear it. <laughs> but we want to wish we want to wish Nick a happy birthday, all right? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Bless you. <laughs> now you can take over. Okay, I know we just had a great breakfast. going to. We're going to go to page 805, Because He Lives. We're going to stand as we sing. We all need to get some blood flowing. 805, Because He Lives.
introduce our speakers. <laughs> for, for those of you who are in need, these work really well uh, to keep you awake, is uh, what I let you know. Um, but uh, I, I do have to, I wasn't here last week, so I just want to say thank you publicly to uh, Thane and Wes. Um, good job that they did last week. Really do appreciate them, their ministry, and and I'm, I can take off and run off to Kansas and Steamboat, and, and I just want you guys to know I was in Steamboat, but I was there for a funeral, so I wasn't there for fun things, but it was great. We, we go back there, and I, I ran into um, three people at the funeral that were in our youth group back in 1991 and 92. That was, uh, it was a lot of fun to be able to see those guys. And um, One, you know, maybe uh, some questionable life decisions for him. Uh, one of the others, uh, he's a rancher, married to a rancher, and lives in Pocomus, and the other one is the new sheriff up there. So um, not all have failed, so it was, uh, it was good. But I do appreciate your prayers. Thank you for that. And Wes and Thane, thank you guys for the good job you did. So Wes, you come, please. All right, take your Bibles, go to John 17. I hope you can see me fine. Sorry, I'm just a lot more comfortable here than I am up there. I'm the shortest one of us three, so that's the way it goes. But anyway, John chapter 17, um, last week we were looking at uh, John, and we kind of looked at chapters 13 to 